All right, sound is speeding. We are recording. All right, let's begin. Either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. You know, I never get tired of hearing our theme song. A fucking big ups to Matt Mozzarella, our audio engineer. Man, it just brings me so much joy. And I hope it also brings joy to your ears and to your hearts as well. Welcome to Adventures in Black Cinema. My name is Desmond Thorne. I am your host and your film aficionado for the day. And in this show, we will be taking a journey through the vast world of Black film and getting into the nitty-gritty of a new film each week. Before we begin the show, I must issue an apology. I uh, woke up a couple weeks ago in the middle of the night almost having the feeling of being in a fever dream with hot sweats, cold sweats, and feelings of regret that I, in the very first episode of this podcast, Adventures in Dealing and Dipset, and we talked about paid in full, I forgot to mention Jim fucking Jones. Wow. Jim Jones was not only a member of Dipset, Dipset. he was one of the co-founders of Dipset, Dipset, and he wrote a song that you may recognize, played here. If you did not walk around the halls of your high school pretending that you were shooting a free throw and yelling, "Bowling," you missed out and probably just need to go back to high school and get your diploma again because that's an integral part of the high school experience. Um, it's either that, you probably went to a school that was too white for it to happen. That's probably what it was. And it's fun and interesting that we're talking about my high school because today's episode is called Adventures in Columbus and Columbia. And we will be getting into the nitty gritty of a film called Higher Learning. And we'll also get into why this episode is called that when we start to dig on in. But first, some gay shit. Now you want to talk about beating? Let's talk about beating. So, 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 so. If y'all haven't heard of the show Legendary on HBO Max, you need to stop what you're doing after you listen to this podcast episode and start streaming it immediately. It is legendary, a Vogue drag ballroom reality competition. 
And if you don't know about the Vogue ballroom scene, you need to do your research. There's honestly so much information and so many documentaries and shows about it at this point that like, come on, you're probably just ignoring the shit by now. But Legendary shows us Vogue and the ballroom scene and these amazing, amazing houses that compete against each other for $100,000. And it's really cool to see these houses and the ballroom scene in a modern context. A lot of the learnings that we do get from it in terms of media, the first two things that come to mind being the documentary Paris is Burning and the wonderful FX television show, Pose, those are really good at showing you what ballroom was like in the 80s and what was going on around it, the context, etc., and the need for it, the need for a place for queer people of color to go and for trans women to go and to truly be themselves and live out their wildest, wildest, most beautiful dreams. So seeing all of that in a modern context is really, really beautiful and very heartwarming. The show takes a couple episodes to really find its footing, but once it goes, it goes. It is so wonderful to see so many queer people of color, specifically Black and Latin queer people, and to really see them living in a place of joy and even though it's a competition, it's all family, and that's a beautiful thing to see. You get some great judges in there. La Roach and Laomi are amazing judges, and so is Megan the Stallion. There's just so much Black joy in the show. Y'all should just watch it. It's so cool, and I hope it gets renewed for a second season. And you have not seen Sexy until you see the father of the house of Gucci, the gorgeous house of Gucci. His name is Jarrell. Oh... oh. My God. Uh, no spoilers, but he is just whew, one of the sexiest men I've ever seen in my life. And in terms of seeing this representation in Pose, Paris is Burning, and Legendary, seeing all these queer Black people, queer Latin people in this ballroom dance space, it is also very important to know and to realize that there are things going on outside of the ballroom for many people who are in the scene that also really need to be talked about and need to be addressed. There is such a large percentage of LGBTQ homeless youth, again, specifically in the Black and Latin communities. And we also need to remind ourselves of that, contribute to organizations that help these young people, and also take action. You know, do our research. Watch really great documentaries like this new documentary uh, from last year called Peer Kids. That's available to rent in many spaces online right now as it is being released. It is directed by the brilliant Elegance Bratton. And you follow in a very immersive way three young, homeless, Black, queer people. And it's very important to make groups that are invisible like this very visible. 
And if you are a queer person or a person of color who has money and is able to help and, you know, is about the rakaka spaces, which we love to see, you need to also put your money where your mouth is and help out these young folks as well who are out here living on the streets. So that's some gay shit for this week. Check out Legendary on HBO Max and also take a look at Peer Kids. It is such a good and important doc. Now to the main event. You are here for one reason, one reason only. Yes, 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 yes. So, like I said, today's episode is called Adventures in Columbus and Columbia. And we are very excited to get into the nitty gritty of Higher Learning. Higher Learning is a film that was released in 1995 and was directed by the late, great John Singleton. Uh, We will do many of John Singleton's films on this show. His filmography is bananas. It is so good. He achieved so much at such a young age. And uh, we miss him a lot. And this episode is called Adventures in Columbus and Columbia because the students that we follow in this film go to a fictional college called Columbus College, named after Christopher, the pillaging motherfucker himself. And we will also be talking a little bit about my experience in high school, going to a school called Columbia High School, and the kinds of things that I experienced that connect to this film. So this film follows three students who are freshmen, named Malik, Kristen, and Remy, played by Omar Epps, Christy Swanson, and Michael Rappaport, respectively. In their freshman year of college, they are followed as Malik learns about his roots as a Black man in America, Kristen learns about the ideals of feminism, gender equality, and sexuality after being raped on campus, and Remy as he becomes recruited by a group of white supremacists living on campus. So there's a lot there in this film. There's almost too much in terms of we do eventually lose a little bit of certain stories as we kind of go on. But I think that's also part of that is that John Singleton did not get final cut on this movie. The studio made him cut a lot from it, and I would really love to see a director's cut or just more things that were left out of the movie. Again, this is something that would have benefited from probably being a limited series, but that was not an option the way that it is now. So we have what we have. So let's first dig into this fictional Columbus University that is attended in higher learning. So one of the first images you see in this film when you're on the campus is a Columbus statue. And there's actually a Columbus statue near where I live in Astoria, right outside the train station. 
And I thought, you know, since I'm here in New Jersey, you know, I haven't been around. Maybe it's possible that somebody has taken down this statue by now, you know, during this revolution, during this uprising, during this re-education. But no, Uh, I saw a video of my friend driving past it the other day, and that shit is still there. Take down these fucking monuments to these ridiculous, terrible people who think they did some shit. And seeing that statue in the beginning of the movie is such a good symbol for really what's about to go down. It's really a good symbol for all three of these characters' journeys following a Black man, a white woman, and a white supremacist who has pretty much the same thoughts and ideals as Christopher Columbus. And I will say we are going to be talking about my education in this episode. And I realized something that's so dope about my education specifically is that I learned in the fourth grade that Columbus didn't do that shit. He did not discover fucking shit. When I was in the fourth grade, I had a music teacher named Samantha Guest. Samantha Guest is to this day one of the coolest white women that I've ever met in my entire life. She was probably in her 20s at the time. She had this cool like gray streak in her hair and she encouraged us to like do our own shit and write our own music. Like motherfuckers was writing raps and shit in her class and she was living for it. So shout out to Miss Guest. Like she had us sing a song and the basic rhyme scheme of the song was in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Then there are some lyrics that I can't remember. But someone was already there. And then after that part in the song, we go on to name the native tribes that were already here. The Inuit, the Cherokee, the Onaganda, and the Kwee. Like, it's so amazing to have learned that at such an early age and shout out to the educators who are really putting that foot forward. That is the correct foot forward. That is how the children become our future. So the little digression there, but in terms of Malik's journey played by Omar Epps, I feel like the journey that he goes on is a journey that many Black people in America go through, especially if they go to a school or reside in a district that is either predominantly white or at least, you know, half, you know, anywhere between 40 to 50% white. Um, There is kind of a light bulb that goes off and you realize that, oh, wow, this education was not meant for me in many ways. It does not teach my history the way that it ought to be taught. So you you gotta start doing your own digging. Again, I am very, very fortunate to have grown up very specifically in an area where there were lots of Black people in an affluent area with lots of white people and the Black people in my neighborhood, the parents got together and created 
something called Saturday School. Now, Saturday School was something that, you know, would happen about one Saturday a month, and we would go to a different family's house who were part of the program. And each family would kind of decide what unit of Black history in America and African history that they wanted to teach. So I've always been armed with this education. I'm so grateful for that because most people are not at all, whether you're white or black or what have you, this is really an education that people have to provide for you outside of the education system. And then you have to educate yourself. And Malik's journey is really a lot about him educating himself. He meets Fudge, played by Ice Cube. Ice Cube, one of the most underrated actors. Ice Cube is so fucking good in everything. And Angie, our producer, she had a really good point about a lot of the roles that he plays are very much close to who he is. And in order to still pull that off, is very, very brilliant. He also meets Deja, played by Tyra Banks, who also, in her own way, helps him get in touch with who he really is. And Tyra Banks is also really fucking good in this movie. Tyra Banks is a very underrated actor as well. I think that she deserves more roles in Tings, and I will do my best to make that happen when I get up in the mix. Um, So that's Malik's journey at Columbus. I'm gonna put a pin in Malik's journey right now. It's gonna come back. And then in Kristen's journey, I'm reminded so much of my college experience in terms of really starting to get into gender studies. I took a class my junior year of college as just a general education class, general gender studies 101 kind of joint, and met the second coolest white woman that I've ever met in my life. Our teacher's name was Nikki McGarry, and she was so dope, and she taught a feminism that is intersectional. If you are teaching or you believe in a brand or type of feminism that does not also believe in the rights of Black women, Latin women, Asian women, all women of color, transgender people and queer people, get the fuck out of here with it. That's not real feminism. Real feminism is intersectional. And she taught us that through and fucking through. And I think that that is something that Kristen learns eventually. She does have a Black roommate played by Regina King, who for some reason is dressed like a flapper from the 20s in this entire film. And I want to know whose decision that was. It feels cruel. It doesn't feel right to me. Regina King is so good still, of course, but Her look is so strange. I just couldn't get over it. Um, I took a second class with Nikki because Nikki also, what she did was really contextualize a gender studies class for a college campus. She also went to UConn, the school that I attended. So she could speak from a very first person perspective about how things had changed on that campus and how things had not changed on that campus. 
I took a second class with her called Women and Violence. And this is a class that was a complete elective. By the time I was a senior, I didn't need any credits outside of my major. I was good to go. But I took this class because she's a great teacher. And we learned about women and violence in the media and how that also connects to a lot of domestic violence and real life and just the different ways in which women are portrayed with such violence from men just throughout time, throughout history, and the images that we see of that and how it perpetuates. So Kristen's journey is very much wrapped up in all of that. And when she starts to explore her sexuality, it feels a little weak, to be perfectly honest. Uh, You know, she falls in love with Jennifer Connelly, and she's also, you know, seeing this other dude who is friends with the dude who raped her. I don't know why that's never come that never comes up in the film. Uh, but yeah, when they explore sexuality, it's all right. Um, and Remy, the white supremacist on campus. So this is where Malik's journey comes back in, because when uh, we see Malik and Remy's journeys kind of come together we do see the fuckery and the fuck shit of campus security which is not dissimilar at all from the cops fuck the, police, fuck from the, the cops um, you see them do things like completely break up a black party while just giving the white party a little tap this white boy has a gun and is pointing it at Malik and this dude's roommate who's Jewish. And of course, the white kid gets away and Malik is the one who gets held back by the security guards. And this also happens at the end. So then Remy also does a school shooting and shoots up motherfuckers, including Tyra Banks. And what happens when the security guards come up against that situation is that they're trying to talk Remy down, saying that it's okay, like, everything will be okay, while they're holding Malik. And Malik, all Malik was doing was trying to fuck up this white boy for killing his girlfriend and also pointing a gun at him earlier in the fucking movie. This happens time and time and time again. They would have taken Malik in and just let homeboy go. Might have bought him some Burger King or some McDonald's, you know? It's fucking ridiculous. And the one thing I will say about Remy's journey that I think needs to be thought of critically is the fact that the white supremacists in this movie are represented as very stereotypical. Skinheads, Nazi regalia, swastikas all over the place, all over their apartment. Just very much what you would think of when you think of a white supremacist. And what I need the media to continue to do is also portray white supremacists in business suits, going to work at Wall Street, in the courtrooms, as lawyers, and judges, as doctors, as teachers, as police officers. This is where these people really show up 
And they show up in ways that you would not expect if you're not looking, listening. Perfect example as we go into the next section of this nitty gritty discussion. Let's talk about Columbia High School. Perfect example, the principal at the time, from the time I was a freshman to the time I was, yeah, like end of sophomore year. This woman's name was Renee Pollock. And Renee Pollock did and said several racist things. During my time at Columbia and before I got there. So to give you a little context on my school district, it's made up of two towns, South Orange and Maplewood. These towns are quite diverse, but what you see a lot in these liberal, diverse spaces is that there still is a segregation in terms of where people live in these towns. So, therefore, what you also get is a segregation in terms of the schools. Because the elementary schools are basically in each major neighborhood. And then you have South Orange Middle School and Maplewood Middle School. And then everyone from all of those elementary schools comes together at Columbia High School. So, again, I was very lucky having lived in an affluent neighborhood that there happened to be a lot of black people. So my elementary school's melanin was popping and it was dope. Middle school was pretty much the same. And then high school was the same as well. Lots of black people, but here is where it starts to get dicey. Because you have all of these schools in different areas and people live in different areas, you do still get a kind of segregation within the schools. And in particular, in the high school. It's that idea of these different neighborhoods and kind of who you grow up with. And there's also something called the leveling system. There is the honors level, and then there's AP above that. And then below that, there's college prep, and there's level two, and then there's also special education. Level three and down is pretty much all Black and Latin kids. Level four and up is mostly white kids and Asian kids. And when you do get a lot of Black people in an AP class, let's say, I was in a few AP classes and was either one of the two Black men in all of my AP classes for the most part, or just the only one, you would see a good amount of Black women in those classes, but still majority was white. So you have all these classes of white people, of just white people, and the education is already for them. And the leveling system is also made in a way that limits growth. So when you're in a level three or below class, they don't teach you ways that you can move up. 
ways that you can grow most of the time. And this is an issue that's been in my school system forever and ever and ever and ever. How teachers decide who goes into which levels, you know, that criteria isn't solid. It's not solid and it's not helpful for anybody. And you don't really get a lot of integration in classes, like really deep integration in classes until you start to do elective classes that are like mixed level. And again, my education at this school was fucking excellent. I can't really complain about my education. Most of my teachers were really, really dope. I was able to take an African studies class, which is a class that changed my life. Another class that changed my life was sociology, also taught by a really dope dude named Steve Fracken. African studies taught by Mr. Gaines. I was in AP art history, and our teacher did a very amazing, incredible job at teaching us about African history within context of the art, the beautiful art that we created. So Miss Kate Dodd smooches and so much love to you as well. So I had a fucking dope education. And I was also a person who was in like level three for math and science, but I was in, you know, honors level four and AP for the rest of my shit. So I, I just knew everybody. I chilled with everybody. Back to the principal of the school, Miss Pollock. There was a few things that she said and that she did that were just like incredibly racist. One thing she said was, there are two schools, one good, one bad. That's racist. What you're saying is the black kids who go to this school aren't worth shit and the black kids are bad. And the things the black kids do are bad. Strike one, bitch. Then, in our cafeteria, which also for quite some time did feel segregated in terms of, you know, this is a huge school, huge cafeteria. So there is a really big cafeteria kind of split into two with a wall in a way. And, you know, two lunch lines. I went to school with a fuck ton of motherfuckers, okay? So... She, Miss Pollock, goes over to the black side of the cafeteria and says to a student, take that hood off. You're not in the hood anymore. Strike two. Then, in that same area of the cafeteria at some point, she says to a student speaking Creole, who was in fact translating for an ESL student, English as a second language, to stop talking that Haitian talk. She also blocked a documentary that my brother made about how hip hop connects to the Black Panther movement, Malcolm X and COINTELPRO, a very excellent documentary. She blocked that from being shown at the Martin Luther King Assembly and over the airwaves of our news station at Columbia High School because she thought it would be too divisive because it was the real education that you need when you're talking about Black history and where we are as Black people in America. So what she had instead was this young woman 
read a very kind of like second grade-ish poem about Black history and about her experience. And Miss Pollock was basically saying during that assembly that only a certain percentage of Black homes had fathers. So there's all these strikes against this woman and she still wasn't fired. The education system protects these racist people and this this racist education and it is absolutely despicable. They're holding onto it and clutching onto it. They're still trying to colonize us and it's absolutely ridiculous. Just like Columbus. There's another fucking connection. So this woman was not being fired because of fucking tenure and all that bullshit. Apparently racism is not enough to get fired from a school where over 50% of your population is black, Latin. So a group of amazing students, including my brother, good friends of his, and the young woman who eventually became my sister-in-law, organized a walkout in 2006. That was my first taste of activism. It was so well organized. We had amazing speakers, not only from the school, but from the community come and speak about how amazing it was what we were doing and how much this woman needed to be fired from this school. Pretty much everybody walked out too. I mean, I think even the people who didn't necessarily believe in what we were going for walked out with us and found themselves kind of joining the cause. Again, beautiful, amazing, brilliant protest. My brother's documentary eventually got shown and they still talk about it to this day. And Miss Pollock still wasn't fucking fired. But, and here's what happens when fucking white people think that nothing can get to them because that's what they're taught and that's what they experience. She said some dumb shit about either Amiri Baraka or (gasps) Farrakhan. I think it was Farrakhan. She said some dumb shit about him, I think a couple days after the protest because I, I remember Amiri Baraka came and spoke But she said some dumb shit that finally got her ass fired because that crossed the line for the Board of Education. That all of a sudden was like, oh, we need to get her out. And, you know, thankfully after that, she was replaced with a Black woman who was our principal and Lovey Lily did a great job. Um, But that's all to say that when I was watching Higher Learning, those are the kind of moments that I really thought of. Those moments in high school where you can just feel the injustice dripping off the walls and you feel like there's nothing you can do. And someone comes along and creates just a protest, a, a, a bit of activism that we can all unite over and make some sort of change. And that's what's beautiful about what's happening now I hope it doesn't let up. They need to do so many things. They need to arrest the cops that killed Brianna Taylor. There's just so much 
injustice within these systems and within the education system. And I'm so grateful for John Singleton for making this movie and really putting a microscope on it through these three characters' journeys. It's a really great movie. Like I said, it can feel a little messy at times because it is kind of going all over the place and trying to do a lot all at once. But what a commendable effort from Mr. John Singleton. And it's an important film. These topics are unfortunately evergreen. Things have not changed at all. Uh, So give it a look. It is available to rent in many places and I hope y'all enjoy it and get something out of it. All my life I had to fight. Yes. It is time for the You Better Act Award. If you don't know, if you are new here, the You Better Act Award, we give out every week to a performance that is just like so lit that it must be shouted from the rooftops. We do this every week because it's very important to celebrate Black performances always, and it's very important to celebrate Black performances as they often do not get acknowledged by the mainstream. So this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please, Regina King in Watchmen. So though Watchmen is not a film, this version of Watchmen is not a film at least, It is a limited series, and it does, in that way, feel like a longer film. You get to see Regina King being all of the different facets of Regina King you've seen over the years. You see the poetic justice Regina King. You see the Regina King from the boondocks sometimes. You can hear it in her voice. And you see the Regina King that has been doing a lot of great television work recently, Seven Seconds, American Crime, The Leftovers. It just, again, I was talking about Regina Hall in one of the first episodes. These two women are two of the best actors that we have, period. And they've been working for years, and I'm so glad to be seeing them getting more work getting roles where they are the fucking lead, the one and only the lead. And Watchmen is a really good adaptation of the graphic novel that was based in the 80s, based more around the Cold War. This is a great adaptation, bringing it very much into the present, into the now, talking a lot about race. I mean, this starts in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So when it starts off there, you know what it's about to be. There is so much great, amazing discourse about race in this show. Again, this gets invited to the cookout. This is uh, created by Damon Lindelof, who's a white man. And he did what you're supposed to do and ask questions of the Black people that were involved in the creative side and on the casting about their experiences and really put that into his script. So big ups. You can watch Watchmen on any of the millions of HBO streaming platforms that there are. And I believe it's also streaming for free for a certain amount of time. Probably not by the time you hear this episode, but 
I know you have one of the five HBOs, so watch it or get your cousins. It's really good. So in closing for this week, some food for thought. Uh, what are some things that you learned about Black history after your high school and college years that you wish had been integrated into your education before that? I'm very, very intrigued to hear about this. Hit us up on SFB Society. Hit us up on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. And as always, every week, thank you to Matt, our audio engineer, Angie, our producer, and Miss Amanda Seals, our executive producer. Next week, we will be doing one of my favorite movies of all time, Friday. I cannot wait. If you haven't seen Friday yet, look it up, rent it, stream it. It is so, so good. All right, y'all. Have a wonderful week and be blessed. So, oh, sh I didn't say the name of the movie at the beginning, I don't think. Oh, it's over. Great. <laughs>